Probably go ahead and get started. So let's, uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just thank you for another opportunity to come together to uh, to study your word, to worship you. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, be with us this time, uh, that you would uh, just guide us in our understanding, that we would come to a, a, a greater knowledge and a greater appreciation for what Christ has done for us. Uh, Lord, just that that would impact our lives and uh, that you would be honored through this. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so review time. We've been talking about the atonement. What have we covered? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Mm-hmm. The necessity. Mm-hmm. And there's something else about the necessity about the Lord. Centrality. Centrality and necessity of the atonement. Substitution. Substitution. Propitiation. Propitiation. Um, last week you we went over ransom and. Uh, oh. Okay. Is, uh, something like ransom, but it's slightly mm-hmm. redemption. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, it was redemption. Redemption and ransom. And I think I think that covers it. I think that's the topics we've covered. So. Um, and of course, as as is the, the case with most studies of theology, you know, things bleed into each other. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk uh, this morning about uh, the triumph over Satan, um, which again is like I know that specifically came up last week as we were discussing things. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna do that in a little more detail this morning. So, first off, um, one thing that um, that I think is important, and um, if you read Murray's book, uh, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, he will point this out: um, that the first promise of redemptive grace was in terms of the defeat of Satan. Where does that come from? Does anybody know? Uh, Genesis. Like the very first three chapters of Genesis, where yeah. uh, yeah. God says, "I'll bruise, I'll bruise your seal and crush the snake's head." Yeah, yeah. It's Genesis three fifteen, uh, where God says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." So, right out the bat, it's like as soon as God says anything about redeeming mankind from sin, this is this is where it's at. I mean, he's not even addressing mankind. He's addressing Satan. Um, but he makes this promise that someone is going to come and defeat Satan. So, um, why do you think that is? What, is? what does Satan have to do with this? I mean, we've talked a lot about um, what Christ did in terms of our relationship with God. But where does, where does Satan come in on this? Any thoughts? If nobody knows, don't worry, we'll cover it. <laughs> but any any thoughts before we start looking at verses? What does Satan have to do with all this? Well, wouldn't most sin come from like the original lie in the garden that said you know? Okay. Yeah, that was if you like God's. Yeah, that was that was certainly where it started, right? Um, so Satan tempted mankind to fall, and all sin has come from that moment. And he is currently uh, now seeking to destroy us. Mm-hmm. Uh, seeking to destroy us. 
Yeah. Yeah, he's he's um, he's not a happy camper. He is um, seeking to do all he can um, to bring all of mankind down with him, basically. And that's also in terms of he, he's called the father of lies. He lies to us. Mm-hmm. He deceives us, but also he's the accuser. Mm-hmm. In that sense, he, he will come and, and try to show us our worst sense and make us feel like we're beyond redemption. Or mm-hmm. just in those sorts of yeah. I think something that's important to remember is, is Satan's not just bad, mm-hmm. he's evil. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a big difference there. You know, if you think of somebody just bad, you might also think, well, there's some good sort of right. mixed in there too as well. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, it started, we don't know how long before, but a long time before mankind came on the scene where Satan rebelled against God. And then when God decided to make human beings, that trapped him even more. Because he, he just couldn't couldn't take, you know, that God would create someone and and uh, favor them over the over the angels, over him, over the fallen angels. And that's uh, and, uh, God you know, Satan uh, continued that that warfare. Yeah. Uh, at the time, you know, God created human beings, and, and He's been at war with Him ever since. Mm. Yeah, uh, certainly. Like we're caught in the middle, really. But yeah, I mean, it certainly is the case that, that Satan has been at war with God and at war with us for uh, a very long time. Um, one thing that's interesting is that um, it's. It's true that Satan is against us and he is attempting to deceive us and all these things, but um, he actually has some level of, of claim on us. Um, he actually holds us in bondage. Um, there's a passage I want to spend uh, a fair amount of time in, um, John chapter 8. And this kind of addresses this issue. Um, and it's not like in a like really succinct way, but it's in a very clear way. So if we're gonna we're gonna kind of walk through it and look at Jesus's interaction uh, with some of the people. So John chapter eight, uh, and we're gonna be looking at verses uh, thirty-one through forty-four, but we're just gonna kind of take it piecemeal as we go. So um, John chapter eight, starting with verse thirty-one. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A lot of people will quote that. That's a pretty um, common phrase, uh, speaking about uh, the truth setting people free. Um, So if Jesus is speaking about um, setting people free, what must be true of those people? They're in bondage. Yeah, they're in bondage. And the people that he's talking to, they, they understand the, the implication, right? Because uh, in verse 33, they answered him, well, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So... Um, when Jesus speaks of being made free, what does he mean? What's he talking about? What's the freedom 
that he has in mind. Freedom from the power and dominion of sin. Mm-hmm. Freedom from the power and dominion of sin. That's exactly right. Um, so that abstract concept is true, but Jesus goes behind the abstract and points us to the personal agents involved. So in verse 35, um, he says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So what is the significance of the son setting people free? Well, the son is free. Uh, and the son has freedom and authority to set someone free. Um, with Abraham, Abraham is a slave and can, does not have the authority or the ability to do that. Right. Yeah, that's an excellent answer. Um, so what's the contrast in verse 37? Uh, verse 37, Jesus makes a contrast here. What, what is it? They are offspring of Abraham, yet they're seeking to kill the one who is there to set them free. Right. To make them truly offspring of Abraham by faith. Right. Yeah. So there's an incongruity there, right? They're Abraham's offspring, but they're not behaving like Abraham's offspring would. Um, so, um, who does Jesus mean when he says, my father? He refers to the fact that that um, he's speaking what he's seen from his father. He says, I, I speak what I've seen from my father. Who is he referring to there? What's that? God the Father, right? And then he says that you do um, you do what you have heard from your father. And who is that referring to? Abraham. It's the traditions passed down through the Jewish line. Okay. That for the next verse, it's not Abraham. Yeah. That's okay. that's actually yeah I mean it's I you know, it's kind of taking a how Jesus piece is seal, it but versus how the Jews are saying right yeah but they're they're kind of getting that he's making an accusation about wait you're you're saying that we have some other father here yeah. Um, but yeah that's that's what's going on is that he's basically saying Abraham isn't really your father you're doing the will of Satan Satan is your father here um, we, we read that. Some, I think we just kind of gloss over it. Those are strong words. Mm-hmm. If, if someone would come in here today and tell us, and of course it wouldn't be true, but, but lost people, you're of your father the devil. Anyone would get fighting mad over something like that. You know? Those are strong words. Yeah, but they are true words. So. You also have to see, though, too, like later on, um, <clears throat> like you know, when, when Jesus said that, you know, it also kind of illustrates how people who are enslaved to sin, you know, sin, death, and the devil, they're enslaved to that. And it's not just that they're like, you know, they're not neutral in it. They're like, they're not, 
oh, well, I'm enslaved and I need to you know, help me. It's more like, no, they're enslaved and they love being enslaved. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Yes, that is true. So, um, I answered that. So, um, but yes, uh, Jesus, or the, the conversation continues and brings this out uh, more clearly. So, uh, verse 39. Uh, they answer him, Abraham is our father. Because uh, they, they know that he's like going somewhere else with this. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. So, again, we see it's like he's clearly pointing to some other father other than Abraham. Um, so, so how do we understand this? What's what's going on here? That may be too broad of a too open ended of a question. Their works are showing them out as far as who they actually are, where their heart is. Their heart is not following in the steps of their biological father, ancestor, right? But uh, he's following it showing that their heart is somewhere else and has a different authority. Right. right. And did you notice that in uh, verse 38, Jesus says that they're doing what they've heard from their father. But in verse, 30, verse 41, he says they are doing uh, the work their father did. So he's, I mean, he's like really associating them with Satan. Um, they, you know, they... I don't. I don't know if they fully understand where he's going, but they, you know, they're obviously they're like, no, 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 you're you're misunderstanding things, because um, they they say to him, uh, continuing in verse forty-one, uh, they said to him, uh, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. So they've kind of bypassed Abraham at this point. They're like, you're going straight to God. It's like God's our Father. And then Jesus said to them, if God were your Father. You would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. Uh, I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. I think it's a fairly understandable statement right before there. You cannot bear to hear what I say. Yeah. Kind of what Ken was saying. It's a hard thing to take. Uh-huh. It is. It is. Well, so out of fairness to the Jews, you know, if, if somebody came in here today and, and said that, we'd think you're, you're just you're a crazy person. Mm-hmm. You're even sort of self-proclaimed prophet. Mm-hmm. You're speaking on your own authority. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have the Word of God and we have all of church history and all that. And you're just coming in and making these statements. You know, so you could understand why mm-hmm. they would. You know, just based on what he said here, why they would push back. You know. Sure, sure, yeah. But they've they've already had lots of evidence of you know Jesus being who he claims to yeah, be. Yeah, that's so. true. Um, but I I mean, how does how does Christ characterize uh, their rejection of his words? He basically says, if God was your father, then you would show that by your belief in me. Mm-hmm. But 
since God is not their father, right. they're unable to accept his words. Right? So we see there the conversation began with them saying, well, we're free. Jesus is saying, hey, I can set you free. And he's saying, well, we're free. We're not, we're not in bondage to anyone. But in the end, they're in such bondage that they simply cannot accept the words of Jesus. Satan has them bound so that they're just blind to it. They're following his will, and that's what they can do. And this, this whole old discussion started off with saying they were never in bondage. How could they forget 400 years when they were in bondage? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they're currently under Roman rule, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, even in an external way, that's right. not totally true. Right. But they must have picked up on he was talking about something else, mm-hmm. or they wouldn't make those statements. I'm guessing. So this is a you know this is a particular situation where you've got um, some of the Jews, maybe some of the Jewish leaders, um, that specifically are rejecting Jesus. Um, so you might say, oh well, maybe you know, this this is just the case for these people. You know, just for redemptive historical purposes, these particular people were held in bondage by Satan, so that they just couldn't accept the truth. Um, but is that the case? Um, flip over to Second Timothy, chapter 2. This is definitely one of my favorite passages because it's, it's just really informative for uh, how we should deal with unbelievers. Second Timothy, uh, chapter 2, in verses 24 through 26, Paul says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So, what is the state of those who oppose sound doctrine? They are captured by the devil, but captured in a slave. Yeah. Yeah. So, they're under his power, right? Do his will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do his will. Um, but, of course, there's, there's hope here, right? What's the what's the hope that that we have? You're talking to an unbeliever, and it's just like they are held captive to do Satan's will. What hope do we have of even talking to them? Twenty-five says that God may perhaps grant them with repentance, mm-hmm. leading to the knowledge of truth. Right. So God can break through this, right? God can can stop this dominion of Satan. Um, Paul is even more explicit in Ephesians, uh, where he applies this to all of us. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, just right there at the beginning of the chapter. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So what do we see here? How does how does Paul characterize humanity um, before God redeems them? A lot there. What's that? A lot there. <laughs> there is a lot Sin, there. Following the course of this world, but specifically uh, following the prince of the power here. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And is he making any kind of like? Exclusions or exceptions, categorizing people and saying, um, you know, well, some people they're this way, but other people, you know, they're not really enslaved to Satan. Let's draw a clear dividing line. You're either this or you're that. There's no either or. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The only the only dividing line here, right, is redemption. Right. It's it's only it's like you formerly were this. All of us were formerly this. This is this is the state of all mankind before God saves them, under the power of Satan. So we know then that humanity, uh, apart from Christ, enslaved to Satan, under the power of Satan. Um, so God has to save us from that, and we've seen that God does do that. Um, but more explicitly, how does he do it? I mean, does he just from on high say, I release you from the power of Satan? No, it's tied to the work of Christ. This is a, a big part of what Christ accomplished when he came to earth um, and gave himself up as a sacrifice. First um, John uh, chapter 3 John speaking of this, um, and he's and he's talking about um, uh, our own personal struggles with sin, uh, and people who claim to be Christians and who are not, various things like that. And First John three eight, he says, "Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning." So there he, you know, working with the same categories we've been talking about. People are children of the devil. They're enslaved to the devil. And then he says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So John here is is seeing the mission of Christ coming to earth as a human being, um, at least in part as a work of destroying the works of Satan. Um, Jesus speaks of this himself. Uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, starting in verse 7, he, uh, he says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven, uh, uh, see, then a voice came from heaven, there you go. Uh, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd uh, that stood there heard it and said that it thunders, thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So what's the hour that Jesus is referring to? Um, we look at the context. would be surprised that most of you are familiar with this. What, what is the hour he's referring to? 
This is uh, John chapter 12, verses 27 through 31. So what do we think? Jesus here is... He says, and what shall I say? Save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. What What's the hour he's referring to? The hour of the defeat of death, sin, and Satan. Yeah, he's he's looking at his you know his his final act of obedience that when he goes to the cross for his people, All right? And who does Jesus call the ruler of this world? Who is that referring to? might not be able to get that from the context, but just from the scriptural context as a whole. Who do you think he's talking about? What's that? The devil. Yeah, the devil. So, again, Jesus is viewing his work um, as casting out Satan. And he describes him as the ruler of this world, right? I mean, we see that elsewhere where he's referred to as the the prince of the power of the air. I think that was on the Ephesians passage we looked at. Um, so, again, Christ's purpose, um, you know, and you get you get purpose language here. You know, this for this purpose I have uh, I have come to this hour. So, he's he's coming here for the purpose of accomplishing this, and part of that is uh, judgment and casting out of the ruler of this world who is Satan. Another passage, um, Hebrews 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to slavery, subject to lifelong slavery. So there we see some of the same themes we've talked about already, right? And I know we've, we've looked at this passage previously for, um, for other topics, but what, what do we see here in relation to the topic we're discussing this morning? Uh, it, it unpacks it a little more of, okay, he had to become flesh and blood to be one that could be mm-hmm. under slavery mm-hmm. in order to free us from that slavery. Mm-hmm. And it's not just slavery, but it's lifelong slavery. Yes. Uh, yeah, we were looking at. Yeah, lifelong slavery and is there a enslaver in the passage? The devil, yeah. And it's real explicit here. I mean, in a sense, he could have just said, you know, the one who has the power of death. But that could be interpreted different ways. And so there he's absolutely explicit. He's talking about the devil. Um, of course, the devil only has the power of death in subservience to, to God, who has ultimate power. 
but there we see the enslavement of um, of people to Satan um, and Christ coming and uh, coming in the flesh that through his death he can destroy the one who has this power destroy the one who has uh, dominion over us questions about that pretty straightforward I know Ben brought this up last week um, there's a the passage that talks about the strong man so let's look at that it's in Luke chapter 11 chapter 11 uh, verses 14 through 22 now he was casting out a demon that was mute speaking of Jesus by the way Um, when the demon had gone out the mute man spoke and the people marveled but some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul the prince of demons Uh, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides the spoil. Now there's a lot here. Um, Just to start off with, let's look at just like the very end of that where he brings up the strong man language. Um, So who is the strong man guarding his palace I mean, you should be able to gather that from the context here so who who is that Satan. that's Satan right um, so that would be like you got demon possessed people that's you know that's basically Satan's property right there so he's the strong man and he's guarding his palace now who's the stronger man that attacks him the God man Jesus yeah yeah, exactly. And so he comes, and he's able to just defeat Satan and free these people uh, from the uh, demonic influence in their lives. So how does this relate to the accusation uh, that Jesus is responding to? Kind of the whole section before the strong man. Well, the section before that is uh, or before that, basically, they're accusing him of using Satan's power to cast out demons. Mm-hmm. And in reality, he wouldn't need to use Satan's power to cast out demons, and he is more powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if Satan had us in bondage, mm-hmm. why would Satan use his power to free us? Right. It just doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. Jesus is sort of like, duh, it right. doesn't yeah. make sense, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, you don't you don't have 
you don't have a kingdom, you know, fighting against itself. That you know, if it does, it's not going to stand. You know, that's not the way Satan's going to operate. Um, so yeah, that is that is very much what he's saying. Um, but so then, what should be the implication for all those people that are seeing Jesus go around casting out demons? Stronger than the devil, the prince of the power of the air. Yeah. What is power over death? Yeah. What else is an implication? That's a very true one and a very good one. Jesus brings one out explicitly, an implication of what people are seeing. Well, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Okay. It's he's saying that uh, he's saying in veiled terms that they are servants of the devil if they're uh, against him. Right. I think what you're going for is verse 20. I'm guessing. I think so. Uh, by, yes. If, if, if by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This mm-hmm. is the end of the kingdom yeah. of the devil. Yeah. The kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah. That's and and what you said is good too. But yes, that was specifically so what, what I was looking was looking for. Yeah. So I mean, the kingdom of God is coming upon him. It's like this is this is the time. Um, Jesus is coming to defeat Satan. That's. Again, from you know just what we've seen in, in all these passages, that's his purpose in coming. One of his one of his many purposes, but that's that's a big part of it is that he has come to defeat Satan. Yeah. All these people, that's what what all of Israel is looking forward to. Mm-hmm. The Messiah coming to part the kingdom. It just didn't start up like they thought it would. Mm-hmm. Well, and going back to what we were talking about earlier. So like we're, we're we're sons of Abraham, we're we're free. Mm-hmm. They're they're thinking like if there's some sort of they're they're, they're mm-hmm. thinking about themselves as spiritually free. Mm-hmm. If there's any kingdom that's going to come, I mean, it's a physical kingdom mm-hmm. to cast out the Roman oppressors or whatever. Right. Who would be whatever oppressing them at the time? Yeah. yeah. They they definitely did not understand the the nature of what would happen when Christ finally came. Um, and. Uh, and when he came, they were like, this isn't what we want. So, one more passage, and just as a prefatory, um, I'm going to read Ephesians uh, 6.12, just because it's it just gives you some of the same language. Um, but uh, that is, Paul says, uh, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so there, he's got all this language that he applies specifically to uh, the demonic forces, to Satan and his hosts. Um, so I just kind of wanted to throw that in there just because just uh, we want to look at Colossians 2. And sometimes people look at that and they don't necessarily get the reference. So in Ephesians, it's just a little more explicit. So in Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our, trans, uh, all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 
So there, just just so you know, I mean, it's like I, I really don't think that um, Paul is when he says rulers and authorities, he's referring to like the emperor or kings or governors or things like that. I, um, I really do think that he is talking about putting the uh, the demonic powers to open shame, putting Satan to open shame. Uh, now there's there's a little bit of difference in way different translations um, handle this, and I, I I do not I am not sufficiently proficient with Greek to be, begin to tackle that, but um, but some of them you know have it in terms of like he triumphed over them through the cross rather than triumph over them in him. But I think it probably amounts to more or less the same thing. It is, it's the work of Christ um, as he comes and he triumphs over Satan. And he puts them to open shame. He's, they're just humiliated. They're just um, completely abased and destroyed by the work of Christ. When the power of God comes upon a person, makes them alive, he completely destroys whatever was the, the, the flesh that was in them. Like they are, they are now part of God's kingdom and there's nothing that devil can do. Now, as we've said already, this is all done in the past mm-hmm. cross, but it's it's just the kingdom of God advancing from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Going forward with power. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's. I mean, that's actually a, an excellent point. Is that this was something that was accomplished in the past in this historical event, but um, the application of it to our lives is something that happens different times for everybody throughout history. Um, that's one of the reasons why this book is called Redemption Accomplished and Applied, is because Murray, in the second half of the book, goes through specifically the application of redemption to people. But, um, yes, what we see is that um, everyone finds themselves in the kingdom of Satan, um, a child of Adam, under the dominion of sin, under the dominion of Satan, unable to hear the words of God and respond to them. Um, And God, by his power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, transfers people into the kingdom of his glorious son, right? And um, so that is something where every every time a new Christian is, is born, um, they are adding to the kingdom, and so the kingdom is ever-growing in that sense. So what are some implications of what we've talked about this morning? Um, the bondage uh, to Satan and to sin versus our current state where that power has been broken and defeated by Christ. What are the implications? So many people today have trouble believing in God. It's okay you say he defeated Satan. That was 2,000 years ago. Why all the mess in the world? When is he going to put Satan away? We wonder that too. You know, and uh, his, his, his day will come. One of these days he will return and put an end to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's definitely uh, two stages of the defeat of Satan. 
you know, where ultimately he was defeated at the cross. But he still has this brief period of time when he can run around and cause mischief. Um, but he's defeated, and eventually, um, final judgment will come to him. Mischief. Look at the last century. <laughs> How many people were murdered? How many Christians were murdered? Millions and millions and millions. I think that's more than mischief. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, and it's I don't I don't want to um, to speak you know lightly of the evil that Satan continues to cause in this world, but um, in terms of um, ultimate eternal realities um, ultimately everything that Satan can do um, you know even even if he kills us it ultimately is it's just it's not anything on the level of our eternal state um, you know it's there's a there's a passage I don't remember exactly where it's at but Jesus is telling his disciples about all the persecutions they're going to go through. And he's like, yeah, and they're going to do this, they're going to do that, they're going to throw you in prison, they're going to execute you, but not a hair of your head will perish. And you're like, wait a second here. You, you, just, you just said they're going to execute us. But now you're saying not a hair of our head will perish. How does that work? And the reason is because what Jesus is talking about is, um, is our eternity. Um, we will not ultimately perish and go into the flames of hell. Um, rather, because of Christ's work, um, we are we are completely safe. And so, everything that Satan can do in this world, as terrible as it is, and again, I don't want to minimize it. Um, ultimately, his power is taken away, and he can't really do anything of eternal consequence. Well, and that also should be terrifying people who are not in Christ. Mm -hmm. Because he's the strong man. He's the prince of the power of the air. Mm -hmm. And if Jesus can just snuff him out like that, mm -hmm. then what can he do to us? Yeah. Yeah. It says, if you look in the book of Hebrews, right, you know, where it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, you know, well, how much worse will it be for you know, us, you know, or you know, after Satan is cast into the lake of fire, how much will it worse for it be, you know, those who are unsaved, right? Mm -hmm. And how much worse would it have been for us? And then, <clears throat> even in, you know, like you were saying, um, earlier on it says, you know, when uh, in the book of Hebrews 2, when it talks, when, uh, I, said, I think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, so I'm going to say Paul. So when Paul, you know, is writing about it, and he says, you know, um, talking about Christians in the Old Testament, he says, you know, they were sold into, or they were, you know, they were beheaded, you know, the world was still not worthy of them. And, you know, when you think about that, you know, wait a minute, you, know, you think about some of the guys in the Old Testament, like, wait a minute, David was an adulterer, you know, King Solomon was greedy, like, you know, like, what, I'm, what, I, what do you mean, they can still be, you know, the world can still be not worthy of them, then, you know, after Christ saves us, well, what does that make us? Oh, you're talking about application. Mm -hmm. That reminded me about the Dutch accomplished and applied. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, in our own lives, it has application in that we are now no longer under the dominion of mm -hmm. sin. Now we still, says in Romans 7, says in other places, we still struggle with sin. Yeah. But we are no longer under its dominion. Right. We are no longer under its power. Right. And, um, and 
kind of how we were talking about how people are being brought out from under that dominion. Well, even in our daily lives, we are being made more and more like Christ. Um, even that, in a way, is like showing God's power over sin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so we fight against sin from a position of victory. Even though it's like we still stumble, we still fail, we still disobey God every day. Um, but the bondage has been removed, and we have that promise. And we, we fight against our sin from a position of victory. It's like the, the victory has been accomplished. I've just got to just, you know, keep working against the things that I struggle with in my daily life. But I know it's not without hope. It's something that eventually God will completely eradicate from me because of the work of Christ. And, um, and he has broken that power that keeps me in bondage under it. So I can, you know, I can fight and I can have some success. The, the thing that struck me as we've gone through this this morning is just the bondage that, that people are in. And I mean, that, that includes us who are now believers and stuff. But I just, I guess I also think about our world and just what a mess it is. And it's because of that bondage to Satan and, and, and what lengths we will go to to seek to restrain that evil, you know, seeking to vote for certain political candidates or to, to change laws or to go, you know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But the reality is the thing that's really going to bring the change is as people are set free mm-hmm. and they come to faith in Christ. And, and I guess I just think about how we're called to be ambassadors of the gospel mm-hmm. and that, you know, while we might be busy about all these other things, you know, seeking to you know, address abortion or, or whatever, you know, it might be, that really that first call is for us to be ambassadors. And are we zealous? Mm-hmm. And so I'm sort of checking my own heart, uh-huh. you know, is, is that really where my focus is? So I really believe right. that that is the problem, uh-huh. and therefore the gospel is really the thing that's, that's going to address that. So. Yeah, yeah that's, that is a great point. Because it's, I mean, we see lots of evil in our world today, and it's very easy to get distracted by attempting through you know just ordinary means to try to uh, affect change and again I, I i think you and i are agreeing here is like that's not a bad thing to do no it's not but and and so we should like do yes. what we can and vote yes. and you know yes. and do those things but we do need to keep in front of us that like the real issue is that people are in bondage to sin and the real solution is the gospel and so that should be the primary thing, is, is bringing the word of God to lost people uh, and praying that, that God will free them from that bondage. Well, I really liked how, how you pointed out in that Second Timothy passage, uh-huh. like our attitude is, is we're kind, we're patiently enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness, just hoping that God would grant them mm-hmm. their repentance lead to a knowledge of the truth and they come to their senses escaping the snare of the devil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as Paul said in Ephesians, we were all in that state yeah. once before. So it was, it's by God's grace that he has um, released us from that bondage. Uh, and so we should uh, be people who are patiently correcting the errors of those who oppose us, but praying that God will 
open their eyes. So Even in our own society, like you were saying, when Jesus was uh, was talking to you know the you know, Pharisees and Jews and stuff like that, and they were saying, well, we're not you know we're not in bondage to anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you can even say it's the same thing today, right? When you tell somebody, well, you're enslaved to sin, death, and the devil, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm you know they echo the Psalms when it says you know well, our lips are our own. Who mm-hmm. you know who is Lord over us? You mm-hmm. know, it's the same. It's literally the same argument. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that when you think about passages like the one that Ben just read, that you know that God may grant that. That almost sounds like, well, you know, I hope He can do that. Mm-hmm. But you know, we also got to remember, He is the one who defeated the strong man. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like maybe He could do that. Right. He definitely right. has yeah. has power. Yeah. And that's that's a good reminder for me as I think about whether it's neighbors or family members or whoever that show no interest in God whatsoever or Christ. You know that He is able to save them. You know. Even yeah. if that's not their desire, so yeah, that's, that's a, I mean that's a that that is a good reminder because it's like, I mean really, I, I think a lot of times people think it's like oh well, you know a lot of people are really like likely to just accept the truth if they hear it, but if we understand that every single person who is not already in Christ, they their heart is hostile toward the gospel. And it will take something supernatural before they will accept it. Um, that you know, that shouldn't discourage us. That should that should give us hope because it's like, well, then that means anybody can be saved. And so we we simply follow our responsibility to tell that person the truth, to pray for them, and um, we leave it in God's hands, knowing that He is more than capable of overcoming all of their resistance and breaking the bondage of Satan that rules their lives. Yeah. Yeah. The Lord Jesus Christ, although when he was talking to the Pharisees there, maybe he had all mankind in mind, but maybe he just had those Pharisees. But he's the only one that can look upon the heart mm-hmm. and tell whether or not, you know, they, they are the father of the devil. And like, like Spurgeon, you know, he said if, if I can raise up, you know, the people's we can't do that either right. so we have to tell everybody and, and the apostle Paul in the last part of Romans 8 because nothing can separate us you know, from the love of God not even liberal democrats they can't, they can't separate us from the love of, love of God although time you think they're trying but <laughs> I won't go there <laughs> it's also um, <coughs> excuse me it's also like a you know a good reminder too like you know God can you know change hearts and you know ch- change hearts of stone to hearts of flesh mm-hmm. but it's also kind of a thing to recognize too that you know God has mercy on whom he wills and you know it's also a sobering thing to think you know uh, it doesn't you know it it's like an opportunity right so gospel goes out to all but only certain you know it's I don't know how to put it it's like there's a there's a the well been offered to everybody but only some respond to others it's you know it's a it's a hey you know then they stand before God they won't say well you didn't tell me well, well I gave you this opportunity I sent that person and that person and that person too so you know it's a it's got a double effect there too yeah, yeah nobody will be able to stand before God and say um, I am unjustly being sent to hell. Yeah. Um, everybody, 
will close their mouth and say, yep, this is exactly what I deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we can preach the gospel with great confidence knowing that God will save uh, his people mm-hmm. and that he has more power than Satan. Mm-hmm. Satan can never keep him from uh, redeeming his people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so also puts it also puts really big emphasis too when you read people like Spurgeon saying, you know, well, you know, people, people be damned, let them, you know, jump into hell, you know, with us wrapped around their knees imploring mm-hmm. them not to go. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That is definitely a a good attitude to have. Um, but yeah, hopefully all of this um, just highlights the fact that uh, that. God is our great victor. That Jesus came and he uh, defeated all enemies. Um, that, um, again, it's like we talked last week some about ransom. You know, it's like it's not like we were held hostage by Satan and Christ came and paid the ransom to Satan. Um, it is very much that Christ came and defeated Satan and released us. So he is the victor. So let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we thank you that you are so great, you are so powerful, uh, and truly no one can stand against you. No one, can, uh, no one can thwart your will. No one can stop your hand. And uh, Lord, we are just so thankful for that. We are so thankful that you have uh, chosen to save us, that you have granted us mercy, that you have opened our eyes to the truth. And Lord, I, I just pray that we would love you more for that. Lord, that we would live our lives with a, just a knowledge of uh, the power of sin being broken in our lives and that we would fight against it with uh, that encouragement. Lord, that we would uh, proclaim the gospel with confidence that you have the power to save. And uh, Lord, just that in all things that uh, we would uh, live lives that are worthy of of uh, being your redeemed, rescued people. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we just continue to worship you, uh, that you would be honored and glorified in all these things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.